Boyer's Coffee. Start my day with Boyer's Coffee. And in fact, uh, as I tape this program, it's midday and I got another cup of Boyer's uh, going right here uh, in my home office. So Boyer's Coffee is terrific. They've been brewing coffee in this region since 1965. They're the original legendary Rocky Mountain Roaster. It's the holiday season if you haven't checked and if you have a list and you're looking for uh, items that would be a really nice gift for people you're close to, people you work with, uh, neighbors, that sort of thing. Hey, it's really simple. Go to boyerscoffee.com and you'll see a, a wide range of coffee products that you can make a gift. In fact, they'll put a bow on it and you can have it sent right to their address and boom, you, you check something off your list uh, in terms of the holidays. It's boyerscoffee.com. Boyerscoffee.com around, as I said, since 1965. They have great food truck promotions up at 73rd and Washington if you're in the neighborhood and they have all kinds of great deals and presents, as I said, for the holiday season. Boyerscoffee.com. Hey, everybody. It is the time of year where you got to clean up that backyard, get it ready for the winter, and Steel has products just for you. They got year-round products, let's be honest. They have gas-powered, electric, and battery-powered, which I love. Blowers, chainsaws, trimmers, you name it, they have it. And the way to find all of their products is go to SteelUSA.com. That's S-T-I-H-L, SteelUSA.com. And you'll get a long and uh, beautiful look at all of their uh, product. From, you know, kind of people that don't have a big yard to people that have, you know, acreage or professionals. They have every product out there. And if you need to find a dealer, there's one probably around the corner because they have more than 10,000 nationwide. And you can find them at steeldealers.com. That's S-T-I-H-L, steeldealers.com. Uh, I've always told you I have a garage full of their products. I love their products. Even if I don't have something to do, sometimes just going out there and messing around can be fun as well. I think you'll enjoy it, and I think you'll get a lot out of all of their stuff. So go to steeldealers.com. That's S-T-I-H-L, steeldealers.com. This week on the Drew Goodman Podcast, part two of Drew's conversation with former pitching great and longtime Giants broadcaster, Mike Kruko, with more great stories and one about one of the greatest of all time. But with Willie Mays, I mean, every day that he walked in that clubhouse after he retired, he walked in like he was the best guy that ever played the game. And he could talk smack with the best guy on the team. He had the laugh that, that would, would just completely affect every person in that room subscribe to the drew goodman podcast wherever you find podcasts and leave a comment and tell a friend this is the drew goodman podcast welcome 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 it is podcast number 123 i always say this i don't i don't know how long i'm gonna count for but i'm gonna count so it's 123 and uh as we've done in the past my man marky who does such a great job engineering this show and editing this show and taking out uh, my various uh, mistakes joins me in our little studio today. Good to see you, man. Good to be here with you. By the way, I'm the one that insists that Drew counts every single podcast. 
I don't know why. Just every, every other podcast does that, so we're going to do it. That's so, so we're going to do it. Yeah. That's right. And I was in a rank amateur 123 podcasts ago, and I'm still basically a rank amateur. Don't You'd you? be surprised how far you've come. It's, 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 <laughs> it's getting really good. It's getting really good. Ask ask any of these people listening out there. There, there you go. And uh, later on, because you just heard Marky officially tell you that we'll have more from Mike Kruko. Kruk was great last week when we talked about the Giants and, and their wonderful run and the Giants-Dodgers rivalry. Uh, this week you're going to hear some great stories from Mike and I know you worked with him many, many years ago. He's a great storyteller. He really is a great storyteller. And I, I, one of the things I learned last week was I, he and uh, Kuiper used to sit in the dugout and do pretend like play-by-play. That was, I don't know why that didn't surprise me, but that's just, that, wow, that they, that they would do that. They were actually playing back then. In the dugout, but they were still players in the dugout, is what I meant to say, yeah. Yeah, but they were smart about it. They made sure they were as far away from the manager as possible. Good idea. And also, uh, I, I, I can't wait to hear the story again. I, it, it's going to be in part two coming up uh, when uh, Kruko joined the Cubs. And uh, also... Um, Talking about Willie Mays. Willie Mays coming up in part two. Yeah, you're, you're not going to want to miss it. Yeah. Some, some really hilarious stories. But we have uh, other things on the agenda as we kind of wrap up the week and look forward. And I know you had some uh, some questions. I do. I kind of wanted to go back to Teddy Bridgewater. I know there's been a lot of talk. I, I, I don't want to get into, like, picking on Teddy about not going for the tackle after that fumble. But I wanted to ask, I wanted you to put your coaching hat on today because I know you're a, you're a coach, Drew. You're a baseball coach. But yes, you, but you, you're, you're also kind of a life coach. Uh, and you, I, I, thank you. I'm getting but, all, the, I'm believe getting it or not, all you're, these new titles. Yeah, you, and, and I'm sure you've coached football a time or two in your life, too. Yes. So what do you do if, if you're coaching a veteran guy like this who has a major gaffe? Do you, do you bring him in and talk to him and try to help him, or do you let him help yourself? Let him help himself, and how do you know the difference? What's... What, do you know, as an outsider looking in, and obviously I've never coached professional athletes, but from an outside perspective, I think it seems like Vic Fangio handled it correctly in that there was an elephant in the room when they all watched film as a team. And you can't not point that out, especially in today's day and age with social media. I mean, it went viral. Here he is. He took one, you know, half-hearted step and didn't make any effort to, you know, to, to make the tackle dive in his path. Um, you know, this is an aside. I can understand it, sort of. I'm not an NFL quarterback. I've never been an NFL quarterback. Never will be an NFL quarterback, much to my disappointment. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, this is this is a tough guy, though. He, we know what he's played with this year. We know what he's come back from. Uh, this guy, you know, slaves moving at 100 miles an hour. It, it looked bad. Now he's going to have to dive in front, expose his right side. That's not what he does for a living, tackle people. Having said that, the competitor in me is like, I'm going to try to get that guy on yeah, the ground. Yeah. But again, I don't play professional football. Now, going back to your original question... I, I think Vic had to bring it out, had to point it out. And what has, at least for the moment, I think, calmed the waters and we shall see going forward is how Teddy Bridgewater handled it. And he came out and called himself out 
took full responsibility and ownership, said it was unacceptable, basically said I was embarrassed uh, by it, wish he could do it over again. That That's all he could say. He didn't try to equivocate. He didn't try to, you know, apologize, but give an excuse. So I think both parties handled that as well as it could be handled. But going again to your original question, from a coaching standpoint, you you couldn't have glossed that over and pretended it didn't happen because there's 52 other guys in the room that all have varying opinions and some might be of the opinion, are you shitting me? How come he didn't try to knock that guy on the ground? <clears throat> if we get him on the ground, it's still a seven-point game. We'll see what happens. Maybe we hold him. And we're still ostensibly in the game. Yeah, and so maybe whether or not Teddy needed needed to hear from Vic, the other guys needed to hear from Vic about Vic's take on what happened. Yeah, right? I'll tell you what else aided him, honestly, and that was COVID, or the COVID protocols now. Because normally there would be uh, an inordinate number of media in the locker room right after the game, and you would get more authentic responses from a number of players. And maybe one or two wouldn't be politically correct. And it's like, hey, no, he's our quarterback. I understand why. Maybe somebody would have been ticked off, right? And that would have come out. But because you're limited from a media standpoint to whoever they truck out to the you know, to the media room to meet with everyone. That's the only opinions you get. Yeah, and I think I think a couple of guys did come to his defense. I think Shelby Harris came to his defense, and that that probably just speaks to you know Teddy's reputation in the locker room and his you know right, I, I, right? I, absolutely. I don't think anybody was surprised probably in that locker room or they cover the Broncos by Teddy Bridgewater's response. He's he seems by all indications a first class guy, and he's always had that reputation in his other stops in the league. Yeah, yeah. So that was my coaching question for you. I know you have some coaching thoughts this week. Too. Well, I don't know about you, because I know you're a big football fan, and I know you got a lot going on. But somehow I was getting ready to go play tennis, right? And the Steeler <laughs> debacle, who, who were they? Who Lions. The Steeler Lions. Yeah. The Lions haven't won a game yet this year. Dan Campbell's entertaining, uh, but they haven't won. And all of a sudden, it's a 16-16 game. Big Ben's not playing, and it goes to overtime. And I don't know why. I'm, I like the Steelers. I've always liked the Steelers. I'm a big Mike Tomlin. Well, you know I grew up with the Steelers. I know yeah. you're a Pittsburgh yes. guy, yes. so yes. I know you're probably yeah. eavesdropping on that one, yeah. right? Yeah. And they're not bad. I don't think they're great, but they're not bad. And they're playing the Lions. And it goes to overtime, and I'm, and I'm like, I'm, re I'm ready to go. I'm walking out. I'm going to go in the garage, get in the car. And so I start watching this. And then it became the Bad News Bears against the Washington Generals. I mean, it was like one gaffe after another. It was it was pretty hard to watch. And from my perspective, like obviously I wanted the Steelers to win. Um, but I, you're, I, I think you're being very kind to Dan Campbell right there. That, you know, he's... He's just he's just kind of a crude dude, you know. Yeah. And but he's he is so emotional. I think he even like cried at the podium like a couple weeks ago after a close loss. There was part of me that wanted to see his reaction if he could have somehow stole a win in Pittsburgh, you know. Right. And I got screwed because I got neither one. Like is it that, is that just the worst result ever? Well, when a team ties. Well, after all of the 
as I said, gaffes and screw ups and oh my God, they are really am I really watching this? Pittsburgh's still gonna win the game in all likelihood because they've set themselves up to kick the game winning field goal, and then the tight end somehow drops the football and on a wet field instead it's right on the boundary instead of it squirting out of bounds it just lies there and of course detroit recovers and they were like we're gonna get out of here with a tie we don't have a win yet but we 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 finally have a week where we don't have a loss and they put a knee down instead of trying a hail mary and inexplicably did you know that um who's the, the steelers uh rookie running back harris um, did not know you could have a tie in the NFL. Every year, there's there's been more ties in the NFL than Super Bowls. And every year, there's a player that doesn't know that you can tie in the NFL. So Najee Harris never had to worry about that when he was at Alabama. Well, right. Because they were never close to tying anybody. <laughs> exactly. But it's just it's always hysterical to me that there's some NFL players that actually just don't know the rules yeah. of the game. So. Yeah, you know, periodically also, I, I know you have other questions, but periodically I get on my soapbox. And I was getting ready to climb on one again because, you know, I follow the all, all the schools in the state closely. And Colorado State, you know, I got my start there. So I, I always have an affection for Colorado State, going way back to the 80s when you know, even before Earl Bruce was there, Leon Fuller, and I got my start doing football there and, and basketball, and there were good years there under Tiny Grant. And Steve Adazio, who I do not know, and I, I respect his career. Um, I respect that he's brought toughness back uh, to Fort Collins. But when you, and, and it's not just Steve Adazio, other coaches do this, and, and you've seen this before, Marky, where it's the media's fault for having the audacity to ask a question that has a little bit of substance to it, especially with a team that's struggling. And we saw that again last week where, you know, he, he's now in an adversarial relationship with anybody that questions why Colorado State's three and seven. You know, I, I know the most important thing is always going to be winning. And if, 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 if he's going to win more games than he loses, ultimately, it's not going to probably matter much how he handles the media. But, man, he's really losing the podium right now. And I would just say, like, for, it, for any coach that's struggling at the podium, and he obviously is, look no further than Mike Tomlin. I mean, if you just want to, you just want to, a school, like, take a little class on how to handle the media, watch every one of his postgame press conferences. I mean, it's, it's, I do it not just because I'm a Steeler fan, but Mike Tomlin's postgame press conferences are almost like kind of a TED talk yeah. for me. There's always something in there that you can apply to your own life. It's like you get a plan, you know, like there's a, how you plan before the game. It's how you execute the game. And then you look back like you could apply that to anything in your life. Right. You could apply that to how you produce a podcast. Mm -hmm. um, but he he needs help. Somebody like it's what what I mean, is there somebody like. At, when, when a coach is failing that bad at the, at the podium, is there somebody that coaches the coach? Well, you'd like to think the AD, and you know, Joe Parker was the man who hired him, and this is a seasoned guy. I mean, he was at Boston College for eight years. He was at Temple prior to that. Uh, you know, he was with Urban Meyer down at Florida. So he's been around major college football for a long time. Uh, this is not a 35-year-old coach who's never been a head coach before, and it's, and it's all new. And, you know, he, he makes it seem like whatever happened before, 
You know, Colorado State right now, he has a bunch of transfers from Boston College up front. He has three or four guys that legitimately are going to have a chance to play in the NFL. Tight end Trey McBride is as good mm-hmm. as anybody in the mm-hmm. country. Uh, you know, Manny Jones on the defensive side is going to have a chance to play. you got a punter. I know it's a punter who's as good as maybe we've ever seen in, in college football. There are, you know, three or four or five guys that are going to play you know, on Sunday or have a legitimate chance to play on Sunday. He has a veteran quarterback who he coached. Uh, well, he didn't coach, but he got from Temple. So stop with the cupboards bare. People don't want to hear excuses. And, uh, you know, we've heard a lot of that. And it, it's I know it doesn't sit well with Colorado State fans. Well, how do you do this, Drew? Because here, here's one thing I pick up from, uh, from you in this show every week. You never root against anybody. Uh-huh. So coach me up. How do I not root against Steve Adazio right now? Well, it, it, it's not about Steve Adazio. I mean, he's the, he's the um, he's the caretaker of a program right now. I've said this too. People, you know, we, we know that the, the Rockies have ticked a lot of people off, uh, you know, over a period of time. Whether it's you know going back to the Tulowitzki deal or going back to you know Nolan in that situation. Uh, I think back to when I grew up as a Mets fan. I, I was already raid as a kid in 1977. I was 14 when the Mets traded Tom Seaver, who 100 years from now will probably still be the greatest Met of all time. And by the way, as we take this on a Wednesday, it is Tom Seaver. He passed, obviously, but it's uh, today would be his birthday. Oh, there you go. There you go. There's a Mets fan. There's a Mets fan. I, I read that somewhere earlier today. Um, but you root for, you know, you're rooting for the organization. You don't control... The, the moves they make, they may upset you. Um, and, and so the same thing for Colorado State. You know, you root, if, especially if you're an alum, that's where you went. And you, and you want to see things differently. Um, you may voice that opinion, uh, but you're rooting for your school to do well. Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, it's been frustrating up there. It's been frustrating. We know at times, you know, with the Rockies, it's been frustrating with the Nuggets. It's frustrating right now for the Broncos. It's been frustrating at the University of Colorado from a football standpoint. Um, but, you know, you keep on keeping on and hope things turn around. Well, given this, it's a ratings winner because if, if, if they lose again this week, I, I can't look away from that press conference. Man. I want to see what that was like. <laughs> yeah. So. All right, before we get to our interview, do you have any other questions on your uh, on your little document? Well, since we're, going, since we're going back to Kruko, I wanted to ask you, I wanted to just circle back to the ending of – the Giants-Dodgers series and just the, the horrible way that series ended. Have you ever, and I'm not going to pick on the umpire, but have you ever actually felt bad for an umpire at the end of a game? Yeah, probably. Uh, you know, I, I felt bad for, uh, oh gosh, why am I doing a blank? He was a tremendous umpire. Jim, um, he's retired. He's the guy that they got the call wrong before video replay on the Armando Galarraga perfect game. Oh. Um, this is terrible, but we'll, everybody knows who I'm talking about. But anyhow, I felt bad for him at, at that point in time. One of the things, we mentioned coaching earlier, one of the things that I've always told um, my kids, uh, you know, whether it's at Arapahoe High School or before that, um, I said, you know, we get we get angry, and I have too, at umpires, right? Like, you know, where's that pitch? That sort of thing. Um, Where'd that one miss? Yeah, right? <laughs> you know, I usually ask the catcher, I go, is that outside? Because this way you're not really pointing the finger, but you are at the umpire. 
Um, however, I also give this little speech. I said at the start of the year, I go, how many guys are going to field a thousand this year? You know, how many guys are going to hit a thousand? Nobody's going to put their hand up. Baseball, we know that <laughs> nobody does that. So why do we expect the umpires to hit a thousand? They're actually going to, especially at the big league level, they're going to hit and uh, and be accurate far more at, at a higher rate than anybody is going to probably field certainly hit we know i think they're all, i think they're all pretty good and you know for anybody you you can't be a bad umpire and be at the major league level it's just not going to happen they're, they're all really really good and even though they're going to they're going to make us but, angry sometimes right the guys that the guys that tick me off every once in a while are guys that want to make it about themselves and intentionally are confrontational. I agree. It's it. I'm I'm more angry at a guy who's put, pointing attention at, him, at himself rather than the call he missed, or the way the way he handles himself with a, or loses his temper. That that bothers me a lot more than a missed call. I, I'll tell you what. If we're going to talk about officials, you know, piss me off more than anything, far more than baseball. What pisses me off is when you watch a, a football game and there's a flag every play it seems like it's getting it's getting rough man in particular for the the Steelers was that a Monday night game or against the Bears yeah there was that one was really tough that was hard to watch and and you'd like somebody to step in and go hold on a second because yes we all know the old you know line about holding you call holding on every play in the NFL you let the defensive back they're already at a huge disadvantage if there's some hand fighting and there's some contact don't flag it unless you literally prevented that player because the PI call is so huge in especially in the NFL college it's a 15 yard penalty which is big enough but you just give somebody 37 yards 42 yards on a deep ball and unless it was egregious put the pocket put the flag in your pocket yeah and like keep it within the intent of the rule what's 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 the rule intending here Right. You know, so and, and for anybody like just going back to baseball for a second, who wants uh, wants to get rid of the umpires, we're talking about baseball umpires in November right now. Yeah. And the other part of it, I, the other part I do kind of like about this is the politicking. We were just talking about where hey um, where, hey um, where was that one? Um, there was a guy named uh, Alan Ashby, uh, former catcher for uh, the uh, Astros, mm-hmm. wrote a book after he retired, wrote a book. And he would describe about how what he would do to politic with an umpire. So if if he had a call he didn't like, he would wait for the for the for the play to happen. So maybe there's a ground out to first or whatever. And then he kind of leans back and without looking at the umpire, hey man, uh, the the three one pitch. Where'd you have that one? Did you, was that down? Was that down or was it away? You know. And that's just a way to kind of defend his pitcher a little bit without you know just without showing the umpire up on TV. I like that about baseball. Or if he's calling him low, you got to get up and down the dugout. Hey, guys, he's calling him low. That, that team's got to adapt as the game yeah. goes on to that umpire. That's I love that about the sport. That, I love that about the sport also. By the way, Jim Joyce, was, oh, Jim know, Joyce. who was a great umpire, and he's the one who missed the call at first base, yeah. and the Armando Galarraga should have been, would have been a, a perfect game. But I think it also becomes the lure of baseball. And we and look at this. Many years later, you and I on a podcast are mm-hmm. talking about Jim Joyce. We remember Armando Galarraga, and he was perfect that day. And I think there's a great art. I've talked about this before. My middle son is a, ca- a college catcher. There's a great art form in stealing strikes. Jerry Weinstein, who I'll have on here in a future thing, who's a baseball guru. He works in the Rockies organization. He's worked for Team USA. He's been everywhere. 
and he talks about straws, right? Straws that the borderline pitches and how many how many a catcher can steal. Now, some of you may go, I don't want him stealing anything. It's either a strike or a ball. We all know, listen, the implementation of a computer is going to be by human beings. So yeah. there's going to be error there. I don't want to see a robo umpire. And, and part of, especially baseball, to your point, part of the um, history of the game are the people that officiate it. These, the men in blue, now it's more black. I do love I do love watching a catcher trying to frame a pitch, mm-hmm. and I I love the gamesmanship of politicking with umpires. It's, sure, it's as fun as any part of the game to me. Yeah, so. and it's part it's part of the art of the game. Okay, we're going to get to our ideal home loans interview now. It's part two with longtime giant broadcaster and a former big league pitcher and a very good one, Mike Kruko. Enjoy everybody. One guy I want to ask you about, Mike, who you talk about icons. Uh, I, I remember, you know, when I would go in the giant clubhouse, and this goes back a few years. So I don't know if he's around much anymore, but but the great Willie Mays, you know, he'd be playing cards in the clubhouse, and guys would come by. Do you do you have a favorite conversation you've had with with Willie over the years? Oh God, yes. I mean, uh, we call him the. the the living monuments uh, with Willie and, of course, Willie McCovey, who was there every game, um, uh, Orlando Cepeda, Gaylord Perry, Juan Marichal. I mean, it, it's just remarkable that these guys had such a presence when they came back in the clubhouse. But Willie Mays was so different because, as you know, Drew, players, once they leave the game as a player, they come back as a retired player. I don't care how who you were and, and how big you were in the clubhouse, it's different walking back in. You know, you you, you no longer are, are free to say certain things to certain guys. Uh, you no longer can be the centerpiece of the entertainment. You know, it, it, for the most part, it, it, it's just a different role that you take on. And, and those days that you had being a leader um, and, a, and an energy source in, in your clubhouse, they're gone. But with Willie Mays, it never stopped. I mean, every day that he walked in that clubhouse after he retired, he walked in like he was the best guy that ever played the game. And he could talk smack with the best guy on the team. He had the laugh that that would would just completely affect every person in that room. And the energy that he brought was just remarkable. And to have him around the ballpark as much as he has been – has just been, you know, one of those treasures that that you take advantage as a player, and not just the Giants. If the, if the word got around that Mays was uh, in Mike Murphy's clubhouse, um, so the players from the other team, coaches from the other team, managers, umpires, they would come in there and they would pay tribute to the great man, and and it would always end up the same way, telling stories and everybody in the room laughing. And I, I'll tell you a, a couple stories about Mays. That um, number one, the very first time I put on a Giants uniform in 1983. Uh, when I had gotten traded to the Giants, it was spring training, and uh, it's a big deal when you put on uh, a team's uniform for the first time. For me, it was a bigger deal because I was raised in Southern California, uh, and I followed uh, the Dodgers and the Giants. That was those are the games we saw on TV, the only games we saw on TV. So now I'm in spring training, and I put the uniform on for the first time, and now I walk over to get a cup of coffee. I walk, turn around the corner, and to where the little uh, lunch area was to get coffee. And I bump into Willie Mays, and Willie Mays has on the same uniform that I have on. 
And I never in my life felt more like a big leader than I did in that moment, realizing that I had on the same uni as Willie Mays. And that was very cool. Willie Mays, during spring training, would always come to his little card table, and uh, he'd sit there and he'd hold court. And oftentimes it would be with Tito Fuentes uh, and Mike Murphy. And on one particular day, Dwayne Kuyper and I walked in and we sat down. It was the first time we got to spring training, so we're talking to Willie. And uh, and we're talking about uh, the team and uh, what he likes and who he likes. And, uh, and with Willie, he would always say something that you'd never heard before. And on this particular day, he was talking about a game with the Dodgers. And he goes, oh, yeah, I, I almost had the defensive cycle. <laughs> the, the, the what? The defensive what, What's the defensive cycle? Well, I started out the first inning, and I had uh, Willie Davis try to get uh, – he tried to get – he tried to take a, get a triple on me. And I threw and got him out. Jim Ray, Jim Ray Hart put the tag on, got him. And then uh, and then uh, they had uh, – Maury Wills tried to score on me from second base. I threw him out at, set, at, at home. And, and Don Drysdale, he comes up and he hits a ball to right center, and he takes a big turn around first base. And I picked the ball up, threw behind the runner, and picked him off. Then he goes in the in the eight, in the in the eighth inning. Jim Jim Lefevre comes up and he hits a ball in the gap to, to to right center. He comes over, cuts it off, and Lefevre tries to get two. He throws a one hop strike right to Tito Fuentes, who had him out by five feet, and he dropped the ball. <laughs> and Willie says, "Now Tito, you should have made the play. I'd have had my defensive cycle." <laughs> but I've never heard that story before. I look at Kuyper and it's like, we got our own Willie Mays story right here. That That's an all-timer, Mike. You know what? Oh, yeah, it was funny because when Tito Fuentes dropped the ball, he picked it up and he yelled out to Mays, I'm sorry, Mr. Willie, I'm sorry, Mr. Willie. Because <laughs> he knew exactly what was at stake. That's something. And you know what? I've told you this that I've uh, many times because I think you have one of the great debut stories, that at least that I know of. Um, you know, in my time around the big leagues, and uh, I'm going to have you tell it here in a second, but I'll also tell you, as I've mentioned to you in the past, I have told this story that you're about to tell, oh, probably a half a dozen times over the years when somehow it, it becomes applicable because I love it. So I'll let you take it. You get called up with the Cubs and, and you're at Wrigley. You go from there. Well, I flew all night to get in, uh, <clears throat> and, uh, it was pretty cool because uh it was my first day in the big leagues 1976 september 6 my wife's birthday and uh i mean this whole story can i can talk an hour about it but i'll make it short we wind up uh in the outfield during batting practice and i'm there with bruce Suter, who got called up earlier that year in may and we were talking with bill bonham who was a six-year vet and uh it was kind of an overcast day windy cool and uh uh, so we're out there shagging balls, and now it comes time to get your running in. So they said, "Oh, you guys get to you know go pair off and go do your running." So running for I was in the bullpen that day, and they said, uh, "You know, get, do 20 sprints." So all three of us run down in front of the left field bleachers, and we walk back, and we're having a conversation. And you run down, and you walk back. At about the fourth lap, where I'm walking back, some guy out of the bleachers in left field yells out to me, "Hey, 40, what's your name, man?" And I just looked at him and ignored him. It was kind of embarrassing. I'm with Suter and Bonham, the six-year vet. So we walked back. Now we run down and we're walking back and uh, right in front of the same guy standing there. And he's looking at me. And I know he's going to say it, sure enough. Hey, 40, what's your name, man? 
And I ignored him again. And as I'm walking past him, Bill Bonham, the veteran, goes, I ah, don't worry about a kid. If he asks you again, just tell him to go buy a program. So I said, all right. So now I'm armed and dangerous. We run down, <laughs> and we're walking back. And I'm hoping he says something. And sure enough, guy leans over the, the, the fence, and he says, hey, 40, what's your name, man? I look up, and I said, go buy a program, meet. He goes, I did, and you ain't in it. <laughs> and you you kind of got humbled right away. And uh, and you know, that kind of happened to me in my 13 years in the big leagues. It would always be a little reminder that, hey, you ain't that special, pal. That, I tell you what, Kruk, I love that story so much. Go buy a program. I did. You're not in it. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Do you, do you have moments, do you remember like the first time actually that you, you 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 found your way, maybe did it subtly, you picked up a program and there was your name on the roster or there was your picture with a, you know, or, or they did a, you got to the point where they did a story on you in the monthly magazine, that sort of thing? Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, totally. When you, you know, they used to give program cards out every day that are 25 cents at Wrigley Field. And uh, I get it every day and look at my name, and and uh, that was my way of, of of being able to walk out there and feeling like I belonged. And uh, and then you know the the number one way, and the one that that unfortunately it's not a guarantee anymore. But when you get your first baseball card, that's the one that locks it in. And the first baseball card I had, it was a, a combination. There was four guys on it, and I had a little square, and I thought that was pretty cool. But the next year where I got my own baseball card. That's the moment when you really felt like a big league. And I, a big leaguer, but I say it doesn't happen all the time now because not every guy gets a baseball card now, which is sinful in my mind because of what it means to a baseball player. Yeah, I, I, I didn't realize that. I thought everyone did, and that is a shame because i tell you what, even I've talked to, and, and gosh, Mike, in, in your career, I'm, I'm sure you know a lot of these guys. I'll give you an example. Mark Stripmatter, I don't know if you know him. He's been the roving catching instructor in the Rockies organization for many years. I'm sure you've encountered him at some point. But he, he was a September call-up. He got 30 days in the big leagues. He got four ABs. He was 0 for 4 in his career, and he said it was the greatest 30 days of his life. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, uh, you know, the one thing about the September call-ups is, you know, you, you're not a part of the team picture normally. That picture's taken somewhere, you know, early in the season. Everybody gets up. But – they always have those bats that they put everybody on the team. And, you know, it's a, a collector's edition thing. And I guarantee he's on a bat somewhere. And I guarantee he's on a bat somewhere with a whole bunch of guys that were in the big leagues for a long time. And that in itself is just another reaffirmation that, hey, I was here. I was, I was a big leaguer. I wore the uni. Um, I do remember him. And, and he's a lifer. He's a guy when he left the game – you knew he was going to be a coach and a good one. Yeah, that's why the game is so special. You've stayed in it. Um, you have a unique chemistry with your former teammate with the Giants and and longtime partner, obviously, upstairs, in, in Dwayne Kuyper. Was that a natural thing, or did it really, over a period of time, develop into you know, where you guys are now, and not only, you know, adored in Northern California, but you're well-known uh, as a tandem, maybe even more so than your career, and you had a wonderful career 
Um, did, again, did it happen organically, Mike? Well, it was kind of funny because when I played against Kai, he was with the Indians, and the only time we would see him is spring training. And, uh, and every time, I, it was for, like four years in a row, I'd get that start down in Tucson. You drive all the way down there, and then it's their first start in the, of spring training. You're only on to throw 35 pitches, and you, you get out there, and the first guy up would be Rick Manning uh, with the Indians, and he'd be like 11 pitches walk and then here comes Kipe and he's like 13 pitches ground ball through the hole on the right side now I'm throwing like like almost all my bullets and I got two men on base I haven't got anybody out so I kind of had half an attitude with Kipe because the other thing too was he was peacock his hair was perfectly placed his uniform was sprayed on as all middle infielders and center fielders seem to be they're all peacocks (laughs) so I I didn't really like the guy and then uh, I get traded over to the Giants in that spring training uh, in 83. Uh, I watched him, and it took me about two days to figure him out. And he was the centerpiece in that clubhouse. He was the guy that knew what everybody was doing. He was the guy that kept everybody going. He had an unbelievable ability to read the room, and his people skills were off the charts. And before long, I mean, we forged an unbelievable friendship. Plus, this was the last couple of years of his career and a lot of the time, he was a pinch hitter. And what do starting pitchers do? They sit next to pinch hitters on the bench. They talk ball. And uh, and he was just fun to be around. And his perspective of the game was was acute and and so entertaining. We'd have the, the, the team parties at the end of the year, and he would always go player by player. And he would have some anecdote about him, which was absolutely hysterical. His, he's the funniest guy I ever played with. And uh, and then when he left the game, we all knew he was going to be a uh, going to go into broadcasting. He walked right into it. Uh, I didn't know I was going to go into it. I, I I didn't think there was. I didn't even consider it. And uh, and then in 1990, after I retired, uh, Joe Morgan, who was doing the uh, color analyst uh, work for the Giants, uh, he started doing the ESPN Sunday games, and they needed somebody to do those games. So I wound up doing 14 games. And it was Kipe that uh, you know took me in. I mean, the first couple of days, as most players do, you you sit down and and you just start doing the game. You don't have you don't keep score. You start talking. And uh, with Kipe, he says, "No, you need to. You know, there's some skills here you need to develop. Some good habits that'll allow you to succeed." And so he took me to uh, the uh, stationery store and got me the right pins and pencils and erasers and you know the, the stapler. And I mean, he got me going. And then uh, it was a matter of of just doing it, and over the years, the friendship that we had as players kind of transcended into the broadcast booth. And uh, you know, it, it it just, I mean, and we've been doing it for what thirty one years. Thirty, I don't even know what it is. It's been a long time. He calls me his road beef. I mean, I'm his I'm his <laughs> wife. You know, I mean. He uh, he always says, "Yeah, he's uh, he's my road beef, but we don't spoon anymore." You know that's his standard line. It's, but I I love the man, and uh, and and he's just how who, how many how many of us are lucky enough to go to work every day and work with our best friend, and that's what he is to me. More with longtime Giants broadcaster and former big league pitcher Mike Kruko in just a moment. But uh, first this for Ideal Home Loans. Tell you every week about Ideal Home Loans. I've used them on several occasions. I continue to use them. 
whether it's refinancing properties or if you're in the market for a new mortgage because you just went out and bought something you're contemplating, give them a call because they're going to save you money. They're going to save you hassles. They're going to make things easy for you. I have sent a number of people to Brent Ivinson's team and they all come back really happy because they do such a thorough job and they make the process pain-free. Give them a shout, 303-867-7000. It's 303-867-7000. That's Ideal Home Loans. Uh, I've been proud to be involved with them now for a number of years, and they're working on their third decade in the state of Colorado, and uh, they also have offices down in Arizona as well. It's Brent Ivinson's team, the name Ideal Home Loans, their phone number 303-867-7000. Divorce is not fun. Difficult time, emotional time, uncertain time. Been there. You need guidance, you need counsel, you need accurate information and great professionalism and understanding. And you'll find it without question at one of the top family law firms in the region in Cox, Baker and Page. That's Cox, Baker and Page. They've been recognized in a number of publications for their excellent work in the area of family law. They're compassionate and thorough in guiding you through a tumultuous period. Their work has been routinely recognized for its excellence. U.S. News and World Report, for instance, consistently award Laura Page and Mary Cox best lawyer distinctions. If you or someone you know is looking for counsel, reach them at coxbakerandpage.com. That's coxbakerandpage.com. Mention you heard it from me and receive a discount on your initial consultation. Now back to more with Mike Pruko. How many times do you find yourself, I mean, you share a lot with your audience, but I know this and I, and I guarantee you guys have felt this. There are times, whether it's me and Jeff Hussard or me and, and Ryan Spielberg, you look at each other and you can't share with the audience either what you're thinking or maybe what you scribble on a on a piece of paper next to you or what you say in the commercial break. But if, if, if that was, um, you know, free money for everyone out there, uh, that that would be priceless also. Oh, God, yeah. we You know, that, that, but those are the broadcasts that Kaip and I used to do as players on the bench. And we would get like in Houston, the Astrodome had a huge bench, and the manager was always, you know, right down by the bat rack. Well, we would sit on the far end of the bench, and we would do some uh, kind of a mock broadcast, and it would be the real broadcast. It would be about what this guy did the night before, and here he is, and I can't imagine this guy even standing up, let alone getting three hits at first base, considering he closed three bars in one night, set a league record. You know, and did it happen? No. But we made this stuff up, and we would make it up, and it was hysterical, and it was very profane, and uh, it, it just was, uh, and the and all of our teammates liked it. We liked it. They had fun doing it, and we oftentimes just said, "Gee, you know, wouldn't it be fun to do a game like that, a real game, real color a- analyst, uh, you know?" And uh, yeah, it would be the last broadcast that we ever would do, and we would be fired the next day, but. Uh, it would be entertaining, I can guarantee. You know, Kirk, I, it's so funny you say that because I have said many times over beers after game, I said, could you imagine, we'd all be out of business, right? But could you imagine if there were two broadcast opportunities each night uh, for for the fan? They could have the normal, you know, Bay Area sports, and there's Kirk and Kipe, or they could have Bay Area X, and it's two guys saying in the language that they prefer 
everything they want to say, like, what, how the hell is this guy in the big leagues? Or, yeah, that guy, you know, you should see, yada, yada, yada. It, it would be, we wouldn't have any viewers. They'd all be on the, you know, for us, it would be AT&T X, right? We, we've said that many times. It'd be hysterical, though. Oh, it absolutely be hysterical. But, I mean, <laughs> it would... We'd all be fired. You're right. I mean, I, 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 they'd probably pull us off the air in the third inning. We wouldn't even make it through nine. No, they'd be ta- they'd be tagged. Would be. Uh, <laughs> we've all fantasized about it. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, do you ever do you ever mention the fact, a little known fact for people outside of the Bay Area, maybe that uh, you as a starting pitcher and Kipe Kipe was a you know a slap guy. He got on base, hit better than two seventy in his career, but you out homered him five to one. In your respective careers, does that ever come up? Not anymore. About ten years ago, I mean, every time somebody would get their first big league home run, I'd say, and and Todd Linden just tied Dwayne Kuyper on the all-time home run list. <laughs> right? You know, I do like this fake broadcaster's voice, and then uh, there came one time, and I did this for years, and then there came a day when he uh, we walked out there, and he goes, "I'm over it. Don't do it again." I don't like it. And that was the last time I did it. So he is a little sensitive to that. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I've i never mentioned it. Um, but because I have, as you know, Kruk, I have great respect for, for the... But I, I'll tell you a quick story I've, I've told before. Um, I, and I lost my dad earlier this year. And, um, you know, he introduced me, as so many dads did for all of us, he introduced me to the game. And I remember being at a game when I was about five years old and the Mets were playing the Giants. And I, I just knew I was a Mets fan. And they're introducing the Giants starting lineup and playing second base, leading off Tito Fuentes. And my little voice, I you know, I, I said, boo. You know, and my dad wasn't paying that close attention. But he, he gets to the three hole and say, you know, batting third for the Giants in center field, number 24, Willie Mays. And I said, boo. My dad grabs my arm. He said, first of all, Never boo a big league player because the worst big league player is still a great player. And number two, never boo that man because he's the greatest player who ever lived. And wow. yeah, and, and that that held such profound meaning to me um, and still does that I abhor people who boo at any point in time. Unless somebody just gives, you know, just dog shit effort, which you just you rarely see that. And I, these guys, as you know, it's a tough, tough game. They're trying their ass off, so so you never boo. But um, so going back to the whole kite thing, listen, that wasn't his thing, hitting the ball over the wall. But he had a heck of a career. So you know, I I tip my fedora to anybody that was, you know, persevered and good enough and and strong enough to to get there and to stick around as long as you guys did. Oh yeah, ten years. I mean, that, I, that says a lot about you know perseverance and and making adjustments to stay there. He was an exceptional defensive player, and uh, just a gnat in your ear guy to try and pitch to. A very good bunner, smart, and uh, and just could hit away from the defense. If if they stacked up the defense like they do today, if they'd have done that with Kai, he'd hit seven hundred. He had that kind of type of back control. Um, yeah. So I, I you know, and that's the other thing too. And you know, when I broadcast with him, I don't have to be responsible for everything. I don't have to be responsible for uh, turning the pivot to second base or a lead that a guy gets or what's a good lead, what's a bad lead, when's a good time to bunt. You know, um, I mean, how, there's so many things that happen in on the field and in the batter's box that 
that I could throw to him. And then he becomes a color man, and because it becomes conversational, which I think fans like the, the, the perception that there's two guys sitting in a bar stool talking ball, and that's kind of you know kind of how we go about it. Yeah, and well, you've done it well for years. And uh, do you have a? As I let you go, do you have a, an idea as you peer into the uh, the future? How much longer you want to go? And uh, I know you still enjoy it, and, and I know you've cut back your schedule a little bit. But do you have a game plan? Well, I mean. It's kind of harsh to say, but when I was in Philadelphia, I had the good fortune to be with Harry Callis, and I loved him. He and, and Richie Ashburn uh, were just, they were, they were wonderful to listen to, and they were great friends. And, uh, and Whitey preceded uh, Harry Callis in death, and uh, it was really hard on, on, on Harry. We, we watched how he handled it. We all did. And then there came a day when Harry Callis went to work, and in the middle of, I think he was, it was the first inning or he was doing the lineups, it, it went quiet, and Harry Callis had passed right there in the booth in front of the microphone. And when that happened that day, you know, we all who knew Harry, we all realized just what we had lost. And all of us said the same thing. This is how I want to go out. I want to be there in the middle of the first inning and have, hey, Crook, what do you think about this guy's pitcher? Silence. And that's how I want to go out. I don't even want to think about quitting. Yeah. You know, um, I, I was asked this question a number of times um, from fans who, and if I was asked this, gosh knows how many times you've been asked it, um, but about the great Vin Scully, who I think from a play-by-play -play standpoint, you know, 200 years from now, we'll say Vin Scully was the best that ever did it. And you know, occasionally people would ask me, you know, how long when he was still working, how, you know, how long is he, he going to go? You know, do you think, you know, is he going to retire? You know, why doesn't he retire? That sort of thing. And I and I always answered the same way, Mike. I said, what do you do in retirement? You, you want to have more time for things that you love to do to that you enjoy. Well, Vin Scully loved the art of broadcasting. Vin Scully loved the game of baseball. Vin Scully loved the Dodgers. Every day that he went to Dodger Stadium, he was doing absolutely what he loved to do. So why on earth, if somebody will still employ you, why on earth would you quit? Yeah, exactly. Do you know, in 94, when the baseball player's strike went on and, and it took away half the season, Scully tells, tells a story about how when the first month after the players walked out, um, he went to the golf course, and, and he belongs to uh, Riviera, and he played golf like every day. And after about a month, he went, nah. And then the next month, he went into the men's uh, grill, and, and he played cribbage or dominoes uh, or gin. And after about a month of that, he went, nah. He said he found in the third month that he was walking the aisles of Home Depot just looking for the right screw for the right nut, and this is what he was doing. He was walking the aisles of, of a Home Depot. So he, it, what was a slap in the face to him was, if I retire, this is what I'm going to be doing. So he thought I, it's a much better option to be sent, sitting there behind a microphone in front of 50,000 people talking about something that I love to do. And, uh, and uh, to me, that was inspiring. Because I think, you know, for everybody who has a job, I mean, everybody considers some point in time, there's a day you have to retire but, you know, if his wife had, Sandy had still been healthy, he may still be doing it. 
Yeah. But yeah. you know what? Uh, I, I kind of in the same way. I, I don't even want to think about what I'd be doing without this game. So that's why I, I don't even want to think about retirement. Yeah, you know what? I, I, I feel exactly the same way. Knock on wood, they'll uh, – <laughs> They'll still uh, still have me. I know they're going to have you for as long as you want uh, out in the Bay Area. And um, Kruk, I really enjoyed this, and, and my best, obviously, to Kipe. Um, we'll we'll do it again at some point. And uh, next time I'm in Reno, I actually ran through there with my youngest son. I took the train out there for a senior trip. We took the train from Denver overnight, and when ran up to Tahoe uh, during the All Star break, right after the All Star game, in fact, uh, this year, and. You you live in a neat town and, and a special place. Well, thank you. Uh, we we sure love it up here. And uh, and Drew, thank you for uh, having me. It's been my pleasure. I mean, I, I love the fact that uh, you know we've all had always had a, a closeness about our two broadcast teams. Every time we go to Denver, every time you come to San Francisco, and uh, it really has hurt us that we haven't been able to do that for two years. I'm really looking forward to it again next year. But again, yeah. thanks for having me. You, you bet. And uh, good luck this offseason, man. Enjoy. And uh, we'll talk soon, Kruk. Always good catching up, brother. All right, Drew. You take care, man. Big, big thank you to Mike Kruko. And I've said this before, Marky. Um, one of the, the great, not only joys that I get in, in having the privilege, and I mean that, to do what I do all summer long is not only meeting you know various players but developing friendships a lot of times with your fellow broadcasters and, and some you become naturally just like life closer with than, than others and because inside your division as we talked about you play the same team 19 times you do develop a, a little closer rapport with certain guys and and I love Kruk and Kipe they're fun um, they they keep it in the proper perspective, and you worked out there. You know those guys are legends I was, out in Northern California. I was briefly uh, with uh, KNBR. I spent a, spent a year out there. I didn't get to meet Kruko much, but what's what's interesting about when a when a player winds up in the booth or on the set, you know your your first instinct is somebody in in our business is like, what makes you think you can be a broadcaster? And then, man, when you listen to Kruko, it doesn't take long. To figure out, and I almost like that, you know, just how good he is, and what an amazing storyteller he is. And you, you heard, you heard a couple just right there. Um, I almost wonder though, Drew, as great a pitcher as he was, is he almost like more famous for his broadcast career now? Yeah, you know, it's a, it's a great question, and I'm off the top of my head, I would think certainly with the current generation and a half. Can you do half a generation? Yeah, I think you could do a half a generation. Okay, I yeah. just did, though. Okay, so yeah. we do half a generation. With the last generation and a half of giant fans in in Northern California, yeah, they probably... Mike Kruko, absolutely. Mike Kruko, man, he's funny. He's with Kite, tells a great story. We listen to him every night. Oh, by the way, do you know what kind of big league career that he had? Well, we know he played, but to your point, they may not realize that he won 124 games and had a sub for ERA and uh, you know was a very good not just a journey he was a very good starting pitch he won 20 games one year mm -hmm. yeah he was he was outstanding and, and I, I looking at those uh, those weird Cubs uniforms I used to have I, I realized that I think I actually saw Mike Kruko on an opening day in Pittsburgh when I was like I don't know nine years old or ten years old but not even realizing you know who this guy was yet, you know? Listen, you followed sports your whole life. You love sports. Yeah. Have you ever heard a better 
debut story. It wasn't even a debut. He hadn't even been in a game yet. <laughs> Ted Kruko's story. He's running wind sprints. He's uh, you know he's running poles in the outfield, and the fans wearing him out. Hey, whatever your number is, what what's your name? Just when you think you're the coolest dude in the world, man. Yeah. It almost reminds me who was who was the Rockies player that made his debut at Coors Field and had to take the cart over to Starbucks in his uniform to get the entire team coffee and walk that thing through the street. Well, that that's now become a thing. That's become a rite of passage in Chicago. I don't know how many Rockies fans realize this. Um, to to your observation, Marky, when the Rockies are at Wrigley, they'll do it again next summer. Whatever rookies are on the team, they have to go over, let's say the game's at you know, 1220 in the afternoon, around 10 a.m., whatever time works, so it's not obstructing with, you know, the start, you know, with, with batting practice or anything else. They will go over in full uniform and spikes, clickety-clack, across <laughs> the street to the Starbucks and get a load of, of coffee, and they're in there, big league players waiting online to get Starbucks. How do you not get heckled? Do they get heckled? I mean, what are, there's, there's Chicago, there's people out there in the street. Yeah, I, I would think, you know, there's... There's certain cities that you're gonna you're gonna take a little more abuse. Chicago, I think, would be one of those cities. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've never actually been to a game in the in, in Chicago. I've walked around outside that stadium, but that's uh that's gonna be a bucket list for me. Maybe yeah. you'll have to get me tickets. Drew yeah, you know what? We're gonna get you out there. That is one you have to cross off. Listen, I enjoyed it as always. We'll do this again uh, soon. And uh, appreciate you. Marky, one of the things he did, he constructed like a, uh, he added on to my mini home studio um, this week. And it's, um, I, I greatly appreciate it. I think it's going to, I think it's going to sound good. Last question for you. Are, are, are you more famous for your playing career or your broadcast career now? Oh, uh, it's got to be my playing career. I would yeah. think. Yeah. <laughs> okay. okay. There you go. Which tells you about my broadcast career also in that answer. Oh, come on. There you go. Hey, Mark, you appreciate it, man. Quick reminder to, uh, to check out my buddy, Patrick Lyons on the DNBR podcast five times a week and he was down at the Arizona Fall League and and has some uh had some and has more interesting observations on some of the Rockies uh talent that was playing in the Arizona Fall League and I'll jump on with them this week that's the DNVR Rockies broadcast we'll do it again at next week we're gonna dabble in uh some college basketball coming up uh, as well. Mark, you have a good week, man. Happy anniversary, by the way. Hey, thank you. Thank you from me and my wife, Beth, and uh, good to be with you, man. You bet. We'll, uh, we'll do it again next week, and you all take care. Stay well, everybody. 